Ultimate Guide Podcast, Episode 60. Hey, it's Kaylin Amadio, the Boomer Gal, and I'm here with another great guest on Boomer's Ultimate Guide Podcast. When her husband was diagnosed with, let me, I have to untangle my mouth to be able to say this, progressive supranuclear palsy, which from now on we're going to call PSP. It's a neurological disease for which there is no cure so far. Actress and author Catherine Lee Scott's very active and creative life came to a halt. Her book called Last Dance at the Savoy is the story of her marriage to Jeff Miller, the founding editor of Los Angeles Magazine, and is filled with insights into caregiving based on her practical experiences. Uh, I want you to know that a percentage of proceeds from Last Dance at the Savoy will benefit the Cure PSP Foundation, for which Catherine is a volunteer national spokesperson. Mm -hmm. So meet actress, author, Catherine Lee Scott. She has written several books of fiction and nonfiction. She starred in the cult favorite Dark Shadows and has recently appeared in a recurring role on The Goldbergs. She grew up on a farm in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, and currently resides in both New York City and Los Angeles. So, Catherine, welcome to Boomer's Ultimate Guide Podcast. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Kaylin. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. I'm so glad you had the time. And I have to tell you... um, I was, I remember vividly my mother watching Dark Shadows. You must have been, you must have been a child on the show, right? I remember it, was my, my first, it, it was my first job, yes. Okay, okay. My very first job out of drama school. But, you know, it was known as the show that kids ran home from school to watch. So. Oh, my goodness. Baby boomers are, are that's, that's I, my demographic. I remember my mom watching it, you know. Uh, she loved that show. I can remember her ironing my father's handkerchiefs. Watching Dark Shadows. We've been watching Dark Shadows. I have to tell you, we are celebrating our 50th anniversary, June 27th. Wow. I know. I I have to tell her that. She'll be be thrilled that I get to speak to you. (laughs) But we were the kids on the show. Yeah. I bet. Wow. That is, uh, that's exciting. So, uh, here we are at the Boomer's Ultimate Guide podcast. I gave everyone a, you know, a brief bio of, of who you are. I would never dream of stopping someone from telling us more about themselves and admitting, if they like, whether they too are a baby boomer. You know, I think I just barely fit into the demographic. <laughs> uh, perhaps my brother, who's a year younger than I am, is more accurately a, a, ba- a baby boomer. But I certainly identify with baby boomers, and I came of age. Uh, of course, in the '60s, right. and uh, and as and as you've already said, Dark Shadows was my very first job. So that kind of puts me squarely into that demographic. Sure, sure. Well, tell me about the book. I'm looking up here because I have it right here on my shelf. Last Dance at the Savoy. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's a book that I I really didn't intend to write, but I realized two years after my husband passed away that one of Jeff's earliest doctors told me to keep a journal. And I said, well, as a writer, I already keep a journal. And he said, no, keep a journal of the progression of the disease. And because there's no cure and there's no treatment, we're going to be prescribing all sorts of medications off-label, things for things that your husband doesn't have, Alzheimer's, restless leg syndrome, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
there just might be an ingredient that does improve his quality of life. Right. So I kept a journal, and two years after he passed away, I saw it on my desktop, and I thought, I wish I'd had that book. I wish I'd had that journal when Jeff was diagnosed in 2007. And I didn't. I had to find out everything on my own. Right. But th thankfully for all of us, you did keep that journal so that you can uh, you can be the bridge for the rest of us. You know, you know there's so many things, you know, that you can ask a doctor. Uh, but the things that you really want to know when you're dealing with the daily, daily challenges of caregiving for somebody with a brain disorder or a movement disorder, uh, you can only find those things out from somebody else in that same situation. Mm -hmm. So I was scouring the Internet for more information from, from actual caregivers. Right. So what I did with the book, aside from having Dr. Bordelon, who is one of Jeff's doctors, write the foreword, and she really discusses things that I'm not in a position to, but also I added a resource guide because there were so many things along the way that I discovered that I really wanted to pass along that, that have to do not just with caregiving for somebody with my husband's disease, but caregiving in general. Right. And uh, as, uh, as I've been doing this podcast, and of course, as I've passed 50, you know, and I'm talking to more and more of my peers. Oh, get Kaylin. <laughs> you look wonderful. Uh, and, and realizing that more and more of us are ending up in, in this situation. You know, yeah. we have, um, yeah, I get, you have to reach a certain age before you start seeing some of your peers die of health-related This is reasons. true. Right. And I, I think once you pass 50, that's when it starts to happen. You know, people get diseases and, you know, you start to realize I'm mortal. You know, this is, I'm not going to be here forever and ever and ever, you know, like you think when you're young. So, no, you know, I have to tell you, Kaylin, as my husband, who had a wonderful sense of humor, used to say, this is life. Nobody gets out alive. So you try to make the best of, of whatever time you have. Right. And right. it is true. You know, we're, we're, it's not just spouses and significant others we're taking care of. But, you know, very, very often, a lot of us are thrust into positions of taking care of a, uh, of a parent or a sibling. <laughs> So, I mean, we're, we're all in those kinds of situations now. Yeah, yeah. We, we definitely are sandwiched. That's true. I, I hadn't even thought about it that way, you know, with uh, elderly parents or uh, unfortunately sometimes a child, you know, that needs help. I know. It's, it, no, it is, uh, it's the time that we're living in. And, you know, you always hear that it's a privilege to care for someone that you love. And, and it is. Sure. But it's also a very trying time when you can lose your patience and you can get upset. And one of the things that I think really I, I wanted to bring out in the book is that there is a role reversal that happens. Right before I took care of my husband, I was taking care of my mother, who was 93 and chose not to have anything more than palliative care for the lymphoma that was diagnosed. And... I realized with her what this role reversal was like. I mean, the, the mother who always looked after me needed looking after, and sure. she wanted her daughter, I wanted my mother, but our roles had reversed. And then, of course, when my husband was diagnosed, the big strong guy that had always taken care of me needed looking after, just right. as uh, the woman who's always there for her spouse 
is the one who now needs looking after. That role reversal is terribly difficult sure. for all of us to deal with. Yeah, you lose your identity, uh, you know, yeah, on absolutely. top of everything else. That's right. And, and, uh, and both parties really have a difficult time dealing with it. So it's one of the things that I really do talk about. And now that I'm, I'm also leading support groups, I find that it's the one thing that always comes up. It's the, it's the wife who really misses the, not just the marital intimacy, but the, you know, the full marital relationship of, mm -hmm. of being able to share something, of saying, so what do you feel like doing tonight, and where should we go? And, right. uh, yeah, what's your opinion not, about this? This happened today. And, yeah. yeah, it's not there. And in my husband's case, and he was the, the founding editor of Los Angeles Magazine, which was the first city magazine in the country, his life's work was writing and reading and mm -hmm. editing. And of course, it happened all too suddenly that, you know, he couldn't even grasp a pencil. He certainly couldn't read. So he was entirely dependent on me. And that's a very difficult thing to see. It was certainly difficult for the colleagues of Jeff's who came to visit him and, and they didn't see the sure. vibrant, robust person that they had, you know, sure. known as, his, as their boss. Yeah, yeah. So, that is a thing that I think that we baby boomers are are starting to face because there are these the diseases that weren't diagnosed a few years ago, but now they're they're with us. Sure. Yeah. Well, before uh, before we started the interview, actually, Catherine and I the topic that we've we've gotten off a topic a little bit because I asked her to talk about her book, but really the topic that we kind of wanted to bring to the forefront today was how do you keep romance alive in your relationship when suddenly you're the caregiver of your spouse, right? And and we're sort of talking around it a little bit, the, the role reversals and how your relationship with them changes right. um, because you're fulfilling a new role. You know, you're, they're the child and you're the parent or in, in whatever way you want to look at it, your roles have changed. So really what, what we were going to try and talk about today is, is sort of keeping, I guess, that, and maybe romance, I don't know if romance is the right word or not, but you know what? I think it is. And, and intimacy alive, it. you know? I talk about it in a very straightforward way in the book because, and I know it was the progression of the disease and also the medications that my husband was taking, but he, um, I remember one, one afternoon I came up to the bedroom having been doing some laundry and he said that Princess Diana had dropped by and they'd had a cosmopolitan. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I missed her. Uh, I right away knew that he, he was probably hallucinating a little bit, but it wasn't lost on me that Princess Diana would not have come to visit him if he wasn't feeling lonely, if he didn't feel that, that little emptiness. Right. And she, she started visiting quite frequently. And um, as, I, as I say in the book, I, I really wasn't too upset that she was crowding our marriage because I had to learn from her that I had to set aside time to just be with my husband, to stop being so busy, right, right. to just sit there, hold his hand, to read to him. He, he was no longer able to read. He couldn't speak. Uh, but to just sit there and talk with him, to give him time to communicate his response to me. And to just hold hands, to just find what had attracted us to each other 
in the beginning. And I think even even until the last moments when he passed away in my arms, I don't think that we ever really lost the essence of what drew us together in the beginning. But it does take a conscious effort of putting everything else aside and just saying, you know, maybe a, a, a sip of wine, uh, just anything that kind of uh, ignites whatever those feelings were. Some wonderful music. Jeff loved jazz. He loved uh, swing and big band. So just putting on a CD, uh, just putting on some lipstick, just, <laughs> you know, um, being, being, being the gal mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that he fell in love with. Right. Uh, you're rushing around doing all sorts of things that you would never have thought that you were going to be doing. I mean, I keep thinking there's not a whole lot I haven't seen and done. Uh, but while you're doing that, you don't want to be seen as nothing more than a caregiver. As much as it's appreciated, you really want to be respected for all of the other aspects of, of what it means to be married or to be the significant other, mm -hmm. uh, to, be the, to be with the person most central to your life, put it that way. Right. If it's um, what, whatever. And even with my mother... Um, you know, I, re I remember uh, the two of us sitting and having a, a malted milk, and and um, and we were like mom and mom and daughter again, finding those those little things that that connect you. I think that's really what it is. And with the spouse, romance does enter in. You want to see that mischief in his eye. You want to see that glint, like oh yes, right, right. Is the one well really you're you're answering the question that i that i was going to ask you which oh, is God. you know <laughs> g give us some tips you know for dealing with this but oh i've got a wonderful one actually sure. uh, Go ahead. and, and I, I really came up with this because jeff was very social he had a lot of colleagues he had a lot of young interns you know who had started their own careers after working for jeff at the magazine sure. And they all wanted to see him. And I would get calls. So what I did was to turn our bedroom into a cocktail lounge. And I actually put in a, a little round table with a cloth on it and two chairs. And it was right near the, the doors out to the garden. Uh, so it was perfectly situated. I took all of the medications, anything that looked like handicap equipment, out of the room. So Jeff was in his chair. And... Uh, I also got him something called a uh, it was called a voice box. It's it's that thing you know if you go to um, if you go to a, a Pilates class or a, an aerobics class, uh, the instructor sometimes wears that headband with a oh yeah, like a like a wireless microphone. Right. Well, I put one of those on Jeff. He called it his Madonna, and what it meant is that as faint as his voice was, it still communicated. You could still hear it. Right. And so people would come over. Everybody knew that happy hour at our house was five to seven. And people would let us know that they were coming by. And they came in. They had a pilsner, a glass of wine, tea, coffee, a piece of cake, whatever. Everything was there. And it gave people time to just chat with Jeff and um, maybe, you know, resolve old issues, uh, maybe say goodbye if they had come some distance, sure. but just to be with him. 
And it also, uh, just because of the environment, people were in a happy mood. Sure. Felt so special. they never dwelt on the fact that they knew the person that they thought such a lot of, who was such a dear friend, uh, was going to pass away. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, they talked about the present. And that is so uplifting because one of the greatest things that you can give somebody is a sense of hope and well-being. So that is one thing I'm happy to pass along. Turn whatever the sick room is, the bedroom, the whatever, turn it into a cocktail lounge. Put on some nice music. Right, right. That's a that's really a great tip. You know, bring a, something a little glorious and glamorous yes. Yes. You know, into the day instead of... Um, doing what people expect of you yes. when you're it, it, ill it, or Jeff, de- dealing with something serious and weighty. Yeah, it gave Jeff anticipation. I mean, he looked forward to that oh, all I'm sure. Time. So at 5 o'clock when the doorbell rang, he was up for it. Right. And, and it was something that, you know, just made him feel so much better about himself, that he was still relevant, that he, he still mattered to people, mm-hmm. and that he was still part of this world. And you know it's a great feeling. We all we all enjoy it when we feel that we matter. Right. To, to and those are, yeah. those are the kinds of things that I put in Last Dance at the Savoy. Um, the book is really about all of the things that I learned during those years of caregiving, and the mm-hmm. fact that I kept a daily record means that everything that is in the book actually happened, and you're learning about it in in real time because with each new normal. Uh, with each new progression or plateau, uh, I was able to describe how we handled it, what piece of handicap equipment we introduced, or right. whatever else it was that that maintained Jeff's quality right. of right. Help right you adapt. To yes, to your yeah. new and that, I think that's important. Yeah, good, good yes. point. So as you, you've probably, having lived through this yourself with your mother and with your husband and now helping others deal with this, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're seeing um, perhaps a common challenge or obstacle that the caregiver, it, or maybe the cared for, I, I, I don't know which side I to look at it from, is. or maybe both sides. You know, what's that obstacle that you see people coming up against a lot that you could you could help them sort of figure out fatigue fatigue and it shows itself in impatience Mm. and it's the one thing that a couple of my friends who preceded me with caregiving said to me Catherine don't lose your temper don't lose your patience and of course I did and I'm very open and honest about that in Last Dance at the Savoy because I want I people. Think most to people would. I mean, how, can you, how can you not? You know, this is a very isolating disease. Yeah. Anything that's a, a brain disease or a movement disorder disease that is this debilitating uh, isolates not only the person with the disease but the caregiver, mm-hmm. and that isolation can wear on you, and the day-to-day challenges and never knowing what's going to happen next. It does wear on you. So the takeaway, really, from from Last Dance at the Savoy is, you know, whatever it takes to maintain your patience, to get the kind of rest that you need so you can be a good caregiver, so that you can hang on to every precious moment that you have together and not look back and say, oh, 
oh, why did I, why did I roll my eyes? Why did I groan? Why did I show impatience? Right. right. Those are the things you remember and you don't want to. <laughs> so that's the takeaway, I think, Caitlin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking about it. It, you know, it didn't occur to me, but f- fatigue would be, you know, no matter how well-meaning you are, you know, or how much love you have for this person that you're you're caring for. I mean, anyone who's had children understands that. You know, you you love those kids, but sometimes you are exhausted and they are driving you crazy. That's right. When right? when you have to get up five times in, uh, during the night, when uh, you know they're just wearing on your patience, they're asking you for that one more thing when all you wanted to do is to just sit down and close your eyes for a moment. Yep. When they break something because they can't help it, right? And you know all of those things happen, and you just say, "Oh!" But you just have to put a lid on it because with a child, they're going to outgrow it. Sure. They're going to grow up. Somebody with a disease for which there is no cure. You have a finite time, sure. Sure. and so you just can't risk spoiling those those precious times. You, you just so, can't. So, so what's, and, what's you a will, method? What's a method that people could use to deal with fatigue? What would you tell them to do right now if, if they're saying, "Yes, I am exhausted. Yes, I'm, one, you know, one I'm caring thing for I, my loved one, and I love them, but you know, I have to be there every day, or whatever well, for, it is they think." If it's if it's uh, PSP, progressive supranuclear palsy, or any of the family of diseases, CBD, MSA, uh, ALS, Lewy body with dementia, which is the one that uh, Robin Williams was diagnosed with, okay. if it's any one of those family of diseases, there are support groups. Cure PSP has a wonderful support group system, and I suggest you go to that so that you bond with other people dealing with what you're dealing with. Also, open up to friends and family because this is an isolating disease. There's no reason to keep it a secret. Yeah. Uh, they're going to find out anyway. Let them know so that they can they can take the progression with you. Right. And you don't have to go it alone. You know, no. that's, why, that's why these groups exist. These support exactly. groups exist, right? And they and, understand exactly what you're going through. Right. And know who among your family and friends can really be there for you. Everybody is going to say, you know, give me a ring if you need a hand. Yeah. No. There they are don't cer- always mean it. It's something that we say. There are certain people that show up on the doorstep. Yeah. And and in, in the one case when I really needed respite, I really just needed to get away for four days. It was a business thing, but it was also a real need. Uh, my brother from Minneapolis happened to call up and he said, no. He said, you need to leave. I just pushed the button. I just, I just bought my airline ticket. I'm on my way. And my brother came and stayed with Jeff. And I got away for a couple of days, knowing my brother could cook. My brother knew how to handle emergencies, knowing that, I, I, that Jeff was in trusted care, aside from having you know, some live-in help. Mm-hmm. So know who among your family and friends are really going to be there for you and call on them. Just say, I just, I just need to get out for a walk. Yeah, yeah. And one of our friends uh, used to just show up on the doorstep with a CD of jazz music, and he would look at me and say, "Scram, get out of here! I just want to spend some time with Jeff." And he'd sit with him for maybe an hour, an hour and a half, which gave me that time to go to the grocery store, the post office, right. take a walk. Sure. It all helps, yeah. 
And the, the other thing that I think people should be aware of is once you identify those people in your life that you, you can trust yes. to show up, you should ask them because that's what they want. Oh, yes. They want to be helpful in that way. And they and don't when, know how. Very right. So when you let them, you're, you're, make, you're actually making them happy when you let them help you. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. look at it as a benevolent thing, right? That's <laughs> yes. what I'm trying to say. Look at it as uh, you're doing something good for someone else because they really do want to help you. Yeah, and, they... you know, you just need to let them figure out a way to do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, before we go, first of all, where can people get the book? Where can they get in touch with you if they oh, would like? Where well, can they find more of you? First of all, uh, the book is available in ebook, print, mm -hmm. and audio on Amazon.com. Just okay. go to Amazon.com and look up Last Dance at the Savoy. And this book is as much about life and love as it is about caregiving. The, so keep that in mind because there's also a lot of humor in the book. Also, uh, you can go to my website, www.CatherineLeeScott.com, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-L-E-I-G-H-S-C-O-T-T, uh, and you can all uh, dot com and you can also go to Cumberland Press Books okay. at gmail dot com. C U M B E R L A N D P R E S S B W O K S. Anyway, it is the publisher of the book, Cumberland okay. Press Books. And I I always tell people um, when when we get these links, I know if you're listening, you're on, I always say if you're on the treadmill, do not get off the treadmill. You know, you're driving, you can't <laughs> write it down. There are never any worries. Because you know you can always come back to Boomer's Ultimate Guide Podcast and we'll include these links for you so that you can come back later and get them in case you were not able to write them down. So no worries. And Thank definitely, you. And right, I'll Keelan, spell can, Catherine. I one, oh, can I say one more thing? Sure. Seriously, if you like the book, would you please just write a review? Right, at Let Amazon. Let other sure. people know what you thought of the book. I'd so appreciate that. Yeah, that's and that's very, and as an author, I, you know, I would say the same thing. When yes. you like someone's book, it's really helpful to us uh, authors when you leave reviews about the book. Because think about it, when you go on Amazon, I mean, a lot of people go buy their books at Amazon. When you go to Amazon and you're looking through various books, you definitely, I know you do, don't tell me you don't, look at, you know, what review level, how many reviews does it have, what's sort of the aggregate, you know, stars, how many stars does it have, and that's what helps you decide whether or not you're interested in finding out more about that book. If everybody ha gives it, you know, a one-star review, you move on. You know, to the next cover that maybe <laughs> looks good. I've got five-star reviews. <laughs> right? So definitely when you like an author's book or if you have a, a friend or a colleague that is an author and you you are helping them, you know, by purchasing their book, definitely go on Amazon and leave a review. It is very helpful to uh, us authors. I'll speak on behalf of Catherine and myself. <laughs> Thank um, you, Caitlin. So before I let you go, I always like to ask my guests if they have an inspirational quote or story that, uh, you know, means something to them that they'd like to share with us? You know, I will, I will only share with you what a dear friend of mine whose husband had Parkinson's and he passed away and we chatted and she just said to me, Catherine, just keep loving him. Don't lose patience. And I think it's just, it was the best thing. I needed to hear it when I heard it and it right. meant a lot. 
And if you can, uh, if you can just walk around and feel that way all the time, regardless of whether you're a caregiver or not, right? Right. What a, what a nice world we would all be living in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if we, if we could all, uh, you know, deep down find that that patience and that love and for Kayla, one another. I wish you the best. I hope everything oh, goes well you. for you, and uh, it's it, it's just lovely to chat with you. Thank you. You too. I really appreciate your time, and it was great meeting you. And I can't wait to tell my mother. I, I spoke to one of the stars of Dark Shadows. Wait She's going to be thrilled. Very good. And by the way, if you go to www.catherineleescott.com, you'll find all about the 50th anniversary celebration oh, of Dark Shadows as well. That's right. Yeah, you had mentioned that. Okay. We, we definitely have to check that out. Right, boomers? Right. So uh, I remind you, every Tuesday afternoon around 1 p.m. Eastern time, we release a new episode of Boomer's Ultimate Guide podcast with great guests like Catherine Lee Scott. And until next time, I would very much like you to take care. Boom, baby. That's it for now. See you next time on Boomer's Ultimate Guide Podcast.